I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode references substance addiction. Listener discretion is advised. This week on The Gap. What's it like to be one of 5,000 people sleeping rough on the streets of the UK? Could anyone become homeless? Listening in on a conversation between men of two generations who have experienced homelessness and rough sleeping firsthand. In this episode, we hope to unpack some misconceptions about living on the street. I remember being kicked, physically kicked, in a sleeping bag when I came to Manchester. They knocked my teeth out, I was scarred here. But you're invisible on the streets. If you report it to the police, they they won't do anything. You put it down to a life experience. And I thought, you know, well, after all the time I'd spent in the army, you know, I'd be used to the streets, but I wasn't. I can take a kicking on the streets, everybody does, but it's the verbal side of it that hurts you. Danny now takes tourists around Manchester as a street tour guide. But after leaving the army with severe PTSD, he ended up alone and homeless. Carl works with rough sleepers in Birmingham as a drug and alcohol counsellor. Before finding his way with a rewarding career, he too was on the streets after turning to drugs with no life skills or family to guide him. These are their stories. Danny, nice to meet you, mate. Yeah, good. Where did you grow up? So I spent the majority of my childhood living in Birmingham, but because I grew up in care, I got moved around quite a lot as well. So I've li- I lived in London, Manchester, Shrewsbury, Ludlow, Sweden, Germany. So I've lived in quite a lot of different places throughout kind of my childhood. Yeah, I've done pretty much similar moving around since I came out of the army. I've moved around and I lived in Birmingham for okay. um, seven seven months right, down right, by right. the. Bowling in Birmingham, the bowling, okay. and um, I some fantastic people. But again, I moved on. Was there a single event that led to you being on the streets? Pretty much so. I did twelve years service in the army. I came out with post-traumatic stress disorder. Then set up my own business, and through the total stress, I was found walking down a motorway the wrong way, in just a pair of slippers. Mm. And I came out of hospital and I literally had nowhere to go. Mm. So I ended up on the streets. Okay. Same as yourself, I just travel around 
the country. I couldn't settle anywhere until I ended up in Manchester mm. and I got settled in Manchester through an organisation that's called the Booth Centre that helped me. You know, what started you off on? I think I was in care for 16 years. From the age of two, when I turned 18, I was put into a hostel. Didn't have no kind of life skills, no support, nothing like that. Been institutionalised most of my life. And I struggled in that environment. A lot of the people that lived in that environment were quite unhealthy people for me to be around. Describe the first night on the streets. I can remember it quite clearly. So there was me and my two friends and we slept in Toys R Us car park in Birmingham city centre. And I remember waking up at about two or three o'clock in the morning and being absolutely freezing cold, sleeping on these concrete uh, stairs. And it taken me so long to get back to sleep. And then I remember getting woken up by a security guard at six o'clock in the morning. And the guy was actually like kicking me in my sleeping bag. Um, and when I woke up, someone had robbed my trainers as well. So I woke up with no shoes. Um, and I remember having to walk through the city centre in the morning in my socks. And just thinking, wow, that was, that was like, that was not a nice experience to have been through. I, very similar. I woke up one morning and someone had pinched one boot, mm. feeling that cold. I have a big piece of art on my wall where I live now, mm. and it says, I never felt so cold in my life. And I had a child's blanket mm. to cover me that I'd found in a bin mm. that actually someone had been sick on. And I didn't realise, but I dragged it out the bin and I put it over me to keep myself warm. I remember being kicked, physically kicked, in a sleeping bag when I came to Manchester. They knocked my teeth out, I was scarred here and there. You're invisible on mm. the streets. Yeah. If you report it to the police, they won't do anything. Right. You put it down to a life experience. Mm. And I thought, you know, well, after all the time I'd spent in the army, I'd be used to the streets, yeah. but I wasn't. No. And it's a totally different life. Yeah. I think for me, that was the first proper point where I actually realised the things that up to that point I took <coughs> for granted. So kind of those home comforts and having a roof over my head and being able to wake up in the morning and kind of go and make a cup of coffee or have a wash or brush my teeth, all that stuff that I'd done for years mm. and years and years, and it just was normal. I think that morning when I woke up, to that guy kicking me in that car park, I kind of realised then, this is something completely different. Like, this is a completely different lifestyle. And it was that, I think, was what the biggest shock for me was. It's also the verbal mm. abuse that you get on the streets as well. Get a job, yeah. get a job. Yeah. I've worked all my life. Yeah. You know, I'm 64 years of age and I've worked all my life. For the last four years, okay, I've been on the streets, mm -hmm. but for people to walk past you and say things like that, the verbal, I can take you kicking on the streets, everybody does, but it's the verbal side of it that hurts you. Yeah. And you probably had this yourself. Yeah, I mean, like, when I was homeless, I got into some really kind of dangerous situations. I got stabbed eight times. My best friend got his throat slit. Obviously, like you talked about, the kind of, not just the physical abuse, but the kind of 
people saying things to you and, and kind of not seeing past that the fact that I'm actually still a human being, I'm still a person, you know, I've got yeah. a story, yeah. all the guys that exactly, I was homeless yeah. with, things have happened throughout their lives that have led them to the point they haven't just woke up one morning and thought, right, I'm going to be homeless on the streets, mm. you know, and some people can't see past that. And then also when people used to be out drinking, I mean, woke up in the morning, people had weed on us and just stuff like that. Yeah. You just get people yeah. saying, get a job, you know, uh, he wasn't very nice, you know. It made me feel further and further away from kind of society when I, I really wanted to transition back into society because for so much of my life I'd felt not part of it. And then kind of coming across... I mean, there were some nice people as well, but, yeah, there, there was times where I got into fights and stuff when people were drunk and, mm. and they were out in Birmingham and they just didn't see past the fact that I was I had a sleeping bag and I was homeless. They didn't see that I had feelings and that. that yeah, that's the, the personal side of it, isn't it? You know, mm. that we have people first yeah. and that is the main mm. point. Mm. Okay, you might see the sleeping bag, but look at the person. Yeah. Have you ever used drugs whilst homeless? Yeah. So dr drugs were a big part of my kind of experience of being homeless. They were a massive contributing factor. That it wasn't the only reason, but once once I was physically, mentally, and spiritually addicted to class A substances, the kind of homeless population that I was part of, kind of, um, we were like a family, and the majority of us either drank alcohol or used drugs, and. You know, for a period of time, actually being homeless, it fitted into to that lifestyle. It was easier because, you know, it was, it was easier to make money. You know, I knew all the drug dealers were based around, you know, the city centre. Mm. And I didn't have the responsibilities of trying to hold a, flat, a tenancy down and pay bills and all of that stuff that comes when you've kind of got somewhere to live. You've got yeah. a whole other set of responsibilities. And my day-to-day -day kind of number one priority, unfortunately, was the getting the money, the scoring and the, and the using of drugs, you know, and that pretty much at that period in my life came before anything else. And I guess until I was ready to make those positive changes and, you know, try and remove myself from that lifestyle, you know, there wasn't really that much of a motivation, even though the stuff I was going through, the things I was seeing on a daily basis, the way I was spoken to, you know, the way I was treated, all of that stuff was still not enough for me to want to stop using the drugs that had that much of a kind of level of control. You know, when he says drugs, I used alcohol a lot on the streets, and alcohol is a drug. a drug. It's what got you through the day mm. or through the night, yeah. and it helped you. Dingy, you know, in Manchester at the moment, we've got a, a large epidemic of the spice, yeah. which is literally killing people mm. on the streets. You're saying about the drug dealers being around town, they didn't care about us. They don't, still don't care about us. They want us to push, or they want the people now to push the drugs for them yeah. and get them free addiction, mm. and then we'll pass it on. I think just off the back of that, kind of one of the biggest things for me with substances as well when I was homeless mm. was it was an escape 
So it was an escape from reality. Yeah, like yeah, you said, of it, course. It, it yeah. got me through those days when I was at my lowest points, when yeah. I was wake up, wake up in the morning, suicidal. You know, I slept through four winters on the streets mm. where it was like, bitterly cold and, and mm. I'm sleeping outside in a sleeping bag. And I feel that at points, the only thing that got me through those difficult times was I was basically what I was doing is I was fixing the problem with the problem. Yeah, that's what I was doing. I was self-medicating. Yeah, you self-medicating. Yeah, that yeah. actually put me in the position that I was in. I was stuck in that um, that vicious cycle. Yeah, that cycle is that you you want help, but you don't know where to ask for mm. the help. Where could you shower whilst homeless? I used to actually go down to the canal, mm. um, Rochdale Canal, while I was in Manchester. I'd wash down actually from the canal. And then when I found the boot centre, which has been a great, great help for me, you can go in there and get a daily shower. But it's that busy at the moment because they've only got one shower facility, mm. so you're only allowed one shower a week yeah. in there. So um, it's very, very difficult. And the other problem is toilets. There's no public toilets mm. available to homeless people. Keeping yourself clean and tidy is something that is very difficult mm. when you're on the streets. I think the reality for me was it wasn't a priority having a shower. I had one set of clothes and having a shower and getting back into the same set of clothes that I've just slept with for the past yeah. year in, mm. it was a pointless exercise, you know. For me, waking up in the morning, I used to go into McDonald's uh, and use the toilet in there. There used to be... 10p toilets where you could put 10p in and kind of dead open and you go in there and stuff. But reality is, it wasn't a priority. Next question, where would you find clothes? So the, there is a homeless centre in Birmingham that gives out clothes. They do it a lot more now than what they did when I was homeless. I mean, the majority of the clothes I got given was just by random people in the street. I can remember once my friend catching body lice from somebody's sleeping bag that he'd borrowed, uh, another homeless guy, and his clothes. I remember looking at him and being like, you actually look like your clothes are moving. Um, and then I had a closer look and he was literally infested with like thousands of body lice within the seams of his clothing. Um, so we ended up, I had to get rid of my clothing as well, and so did he. Um, and then I remember walking through Birmingham City Centre and it was the middle of winter, I literally had a T-shirt on. Um, me and my mate both had T-shirts on and he was freezing cold. And I was thinking, you know, I'm probably going to have to sleep like this tonight. And some random guy come up to me in the street and he had a bag with two brand new coats in with the tags on. And he was like, have them, mate. Like, you can't be walking around with, with no like, coat on. Um, and that kind of stuff, you know, did used to happen sometimes. And also yeah. there was outreach teams mm. that used to come out as well and give you, like, hot drinks and, mm. you know, toiletries and, and clothes occasionally. But it was just a matter of whether you kind of bumped into those people on that Pacific day when they had the stuff. But it did used to happen. When I first come to Manchester, and I say I went to the food centre, they will give you a form to go to the Mustard Street in Manchester where you can get an allowance of £20 for clothing. It's all donated stuff anyway. Yeah. So it, you can pretty much get a complete outfit. And as you're saying with the outreach teams coming round in the, uh, in the night time, 
he carried clean mm. socks with him. Yeah. Funny story was a guy came up to me with a box with a brand new pair of trainers in him. Mm. And he said, yeah, you can have them. And I was sat there on the streets and a lady come up and she went, you're not homeless. Look at your trainers, because yeah. they had a brand new pair mm. of trainers on. And she went, you're not homeless. I said, well, I'll tell you what, love, come back at four o'clock in the morning. And you know what? The lady come back at four o'clock in the morning and she went, I'm sorry about that. I said, well, you know, don't judge yeah. a book by Watch the cover. cover. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What impact has being homeless had on your family? Oh, um, a great deal. As you know yourself, the police know everyone, or most people who are on the streets, yeah. and they always ask for your, your details and where you're from and this, that and the other. And there was a policewoman, and she came over to me one morning. She said, all right, Scouse, how are you doing? I said, I'm all right, yeah. She said, right, well, you've been reported uh, missing by your oldest sister and your oldest daughter. And I went, oh, OK, yeah. We'll tell them that we found you, but we won't tell them what you're doing. Mm. And oh, quite a while later, I found out that the police had actually told them that I was living under the canal bridge in Ancoats. And I thought, you know, they had no need to tell them that. Mm. So why didn't you tell us that you, you were in that state? And I was like, well, how do you, how do, you do that? I do you know? that conversation. Yeah. How do you do that? Mm. I, I just didn't know at the time how to do it. I think after that, it was the start to say, right, you know, get myself, try and get myself back to normal. Yeah. Well, my brother, the whole time that I was on the streets, he was on the streets as well. So we used to kind of see each other. We didn't used to hang about together, which is quite weird because we were quite close growing up. 
but he had a friend that he spent all his time with and I had a friend and we kind of just used to, if there was any issues for either of us or anyone or anything like that, we'd mm. kind of get together and we'd, we'd look after each other. Not having a family from kind of the age of two, I hadn't even met my mum at that point, so from when I was a baby, my dad wasn't really around. Um, my oldest brother was kind of gone off and become famous and doing all his own stuff. So I don't even know if my family, apart from my brother, knew that I was even homeless for that time, because since I've kind of had the conversation with my dad and I don't even think he knew about it. Um, so I think, like, the impact, I think it's more shocking for them now and probably has a bigger impact now than it did back then. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the same as me. My eldest sister that reported me as a missing person, she still says that part of my life didn't happen. Yeah. She, she ignores it because mm. she doesn't want to think that I actually was there and done it. But, well, sorry, love, it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you have any favourite spots to hang out or to say whilst you were homeless? So me and about 30 other people used to sleep under a tunnel. So it was basically, as you go through the centre of Birmingham, you've got these, like, tunnels that you go under. Yeah, like, I've lost. actually been in them tunnels. I know exactly where, you, yeah. Yeah, where you're coming from. And to be fair, looking back now, it, it was disgusting down there. The police used to know that we used to all sleep down there, and they, when they used to come down, they used to come down in masks and, like, forensic suits and all of that. Um, but I think the reason they never moved us on from under there was because it was underground and it was kind of out of sight, yeah. out of mind. Yeah. They'd rather us under there. You were, than... you were invisible yeah. to what you Yeah, invisible to the public. Yeah. So, so they kind of left us alone. And they know where to come if they want anyone. Because yeah. they know yeah. you're all... Yes. Yeah. If, they, if we was ever wanted by the police or anything like that, they knew where we was. Do you have any favourite spots when you were homeless? Um, I tended... At times, I went down to a bridge under the canal at um, the Rochdale Canal, uh, Ancoats, just to be out the road of everyone. Mm. And, you know, just a, a bit of peace on your own, away from sitting on the streets mm. and all you're seeing is a pair of legs walking past it all the time. Yeah. I'd just, yeah, I'd just get down there and hide away. Yeah, I can relate to that because there was times where I used to sleep in different places quite in quite central within like Birmingham city centre and obviously it's a big city, it's very, very yeah, busy. Well, yeah. And you know, I'd end up waking up in a sleeping bag in a doorway and kind of I'd get out of the sleeping bag and there'd just be hundreds of people around and kind of doing that first thing in the morning, like, you haven't slept very well and you just kind of... You imagine when you get out of bed at home sometime, you know, you're quite tired and you're like, oh, you just want a coffee and you need to get, like, get yourself started for the day before you even really want to deal with anyone. And you're getting out of a sleeping bag to, like, hundreds and thousands of people all going about their daily business, <laughs> like, shopping and all of that. And, and you do, you just... You can feel invisible, like, you can watch hundreds of people walk past you without even, like, anybody kind of even paying the slightest bit of attention to yeah. you. So I get that thing about sleeping somewhere at times that's away from all of that, so that isn't something you've got to deal with. Yeah. Should people give change to the street homeless? We work a lot now 
with different organisations and we get asked this question all the time. Mm. We say it's personal choice to whether you want to give them money. So if you don't want to give it to the person, donate it to one of them um, organisations. I feel like maybe there's the misconception that everybody that's homeless is going to use that money because they're drinking or they're using drugs, which actually isn't the reality. There are plenty of people that rough sleep that actually do not drink and do not take drugs yeah. and would not yeah. use that money to do that. To just walk past someone and just say, how are you, mate? OK, I've got nothing to give you today, but I hope you get through it. And you know yourself, Cal, that that means a lot to someone when you're on the streets, just to say, oh, someone's realised I'm here. It was nice if people were, you know, willing to give money or, <laughs> or food or drink or whatever it was to help me out. You know, I'd always appreciate that, and it's, it's always a kind gesture. Um, but somebody actually stopping and giving me a little bit of time and talking to me and, yeah. you know, wishing me a good day or, you know, asking me how my day's been, that stuff was, mm. was really, really important as well. A really important thing for me is to treat every person as an individual, yeah, and understand that this person's probably got a family, this person may have children and they've got a mum, they've got a dad, you know, they've got a story that's kind of led them to get to the point where they're rough sleeping. Because I think, you know, it can be misconstrued that rough sleeping is a choice. You know, there are people that could probably get into accommodation and maybe choose not to. Rough sleeping for me had become the norm. That was a routine to me. That was what I knew. That was my safety blanket. I, I belonged to a community of people that were all in a similar situation to me. In my experience, I think maybe at times in my life when I was out there on the streets that actually, you know, people offered me accommodation, but I wasn't ready for that transition. I didn't feel part of that society. I mean, I know somebody now that, that a girl that was rough sleeping for quite a long time, and when they put her into accommodation, they put her into a hostel, and she still lives like she's on the streets. She doesn't sleep in the bed, she sleeps on the floor in the sleeping bag, mm. because that's all she knows. So I think it's about understanding that there's a lot more to it than just putting somebody in yeah. accommodation and yeah. leaving them there. It's about making sure we've kind of got that wraparound support yeah. and they've got those social skills and those living skills to be able to maintain yeah. a tenancy. But it's that isolation. Yeah. The, the door shuts yeah. and you're isolated and you're on your own. Mm. When you're on the streets, you you become a little bit of a family, a little bit of a community. Yeah. You, you know, everyone knows each other mm. on the streets. I know myself after the years I was on the streets. When I first got my accommodation, which I'm, I'm in now, I found it very difficult to pay in bills and different things. But through the support of the centres mm. and such like, you know, they, they helped me through. Even now at times I get itchy feet. After two and a half years off the streets, I get itchy feet and think, sod this, I want to move on or do this, but I know I won't. How has homelessness affected your social status? It's upped my status in a way because I understand how it is to be on the streets and how it is to be now quite comfortable. I'm not better than anyone else. I'm exactly the same as I was when I was homeless. Mm. But 
I speak for them. Mm. I'm an ambassador now for homeless people. Mm. So I speak for them. So when I go to meetings with the councils or do this, that and the other, I speak for them. I don't go in to eat tea and biscuits. And some council meetings I go to, they go, oh my God, Danny's here again. Tough. Love me or leave me. Yeah. I think to appreciate kind of good, you've got to experience bad. Yeah, I think, no, I, I, you yeah, know, I like some, of, some of the places that I went to kind of mentally and physically when I was homeless, it took me to such kind of depths that I'd never been to before that coming out of that situation now has enabled me to really appreciate the smaller things, you know, that that before I used to take for granted mm. and being able to... I mean, I'm not ashamed. I, I don't hide away at the fact that I was homeless on the streets and that I use substances because now I feel it, that's a good opportunity to be able to use those experiences in a positive light because maybe for so many years of my life I, I was in that negative headspace and the experiences and the people that I was around were negative and now I'm not in that position anymore it's about continuously maintaining that. It's about not being complacent, not thinking that that part of my life didn't happen, you know, understanding that yeah, actually yeah, that yeah, played yeah. a part to where I am today. Yeah, I understand that because we could go... It's quite easily to say, right, I've got my own little place now, I'm quite happy, close the door mm. and forget about it. Yeah. But you don't, it's still... Yeah, it's still a big part of your life in one sense. Yeah. That, you know, even now when I'm out on the streets, you know, I go past people and I think, that was me. Mm. Is our society built to create homelessness? I'm not sure if society's built, but I feel like some of the processes and some of the barriers that are in the way for people can, mm. can lead to people becoming homeless unnecessarily. Um, and also then some of the kind of barriers to getting off the streets once somebody is out there don't need to be there. I mean, I know there's a new scheme that's been started in Birmingham, what's called Housing First, which is a scheme, a pilot scheme at the moment to get the most entrenched rough sleepers off the streets, put them into council accommodation, and give them that wraparound support that we just yeah. talked yeah, about. Yeah, we've got it starting actually in yeah. Manchester as well. The and same I mean, that's quite a new thing, but at the moment that seems to be actually working because that's a big barrier. It's about, you know, you need to take steps once somebody comes out of that life of being homeless and not having that responsibility it's a process yeah and you need to make sure during that process that this person is not going to experience all these barriers and all these things that actually in their head are just way too big to even start to deal with at that point mm. you know you need to make sure that it's, it's done in steps what have you accomplished that you thought you might never achieve I've done crazy things like in the last four years of working with Streetwise Opera in Manchester. If someone had said to me, you will be singing this Dorma in the Manchester Cathedral, yeah. I'd have said, I'll have a pint of what you're on, mate, because you've got no chance. And I've actually performed there five times now. So I'm doing the street tours at yeah. the moment, and I've just actually had my book published with my poetry in which 
the proceeds will be going back to homeless charities. The biggest thing that I feel I've achieved is that I'm still alive. <laughs> that's kind of... Yeah, that's... Because um, that, that's... there was so many occasions when I was in that lifestyle that I could mm. quite easily have been dead, you know, and I was yeah. homeless, I overdosed three times, um, nearly died, you know, got into some really, really sticky situations, and the fact that I'm even here being able to talk about this stuff now and talk about my yeah. experience mm -hmm. and, and in a position, you know, I've got my dream job, so I, I'm a drug and alcohol counsellor and, and I work with all the rough sleepers in Birmingham. I've got a partner, I've got a home, I've got kids, I've got money in my pocket, I've got a bed to sleep in, my family have got peace of mind. Met my mum after 30 odd years, I'm back in contact with my dad. The list of stuff yeah. that has happened, you know, and the way my life... I now work with police officers that used to lock me up, prison officers that used to lock me up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I now work with people that were homeless alongside me when I was on the streets, and now I get the opportunity because they're still out there homeless, you know, been out there 20-plus years, I have got a chance to be able to try and help these people the best way that I can. Could anyone end up homeless? Most definitely. You know, everybody's got their own story. Everybody has events during their life that lead them to a point where they become homeless. I don't really think it matters if you've got the biggest house, you know, the fastest car, all the money in the world, because the way the world works is that can all be taken off you in a split second and you can lose everything. And I see people that are homeless now, um, and when I was out there as well, that have, that have had money, they've had money, they've had a nice job, they've had a you know, family, they've had a big house and they're sitting next to me in the sleeping bag in a doorway. You know, I've come from growing up in the care system, in and out of prison, or, you know, being on drugs, all of that, but they're in exactly the same position as me. So I definitely feel that nobody should really think, look at somebody that's homeless and say to themselves, that, that'll never happen to me. You know, I ain't yeah. never gonna be like that. Because it can literally be one event, somebody can go through one traumatic event in their life, and that has a knock-on effect, things spiral out of control, all the different areas of their life start to become unmanageable, and before they know it, bam, you know, they haven't got a roof over their head, and I think it's about everybody kind of thinking along those lines because I feel like with that thinking comes a responsibility for everybody to kind of do what they can to help those guys that, that are out there because if you kind of say to yourself that'll never happen to me then what you're doing is you're distancing yourself yeah, from that I person think, yeah, straight yeah, away. Yeah. You're putting a barrier in between you and him that you're better than them. The arrogance of people that think that, you know, oh, it won't happen to me and then, you, as you say, you, you probably met them and thought, well, I didn't think I'd be here. I didn't think I'd be like this. Well, mm. it does. What do you do now? I'm a drug and alcohol counsellor in the homeless team. Um, get all kinds of opportunities to do, you know, homelessness awareness. I deliver training mm. to police, probation staff, all different organisations. Um, I work within also a central organisation. Um, but looking back, I feel without the opportunities that were placed into my path by the different organisations that were working yeah. with me at the time, um, I don't ever think that I would have got to this point. Very, very similar in the way that, um, you know, OK, I've got myself off the streets, I'm a qualified mentor, um, I work with 
still work with people. Um, I've got a nice little one-bedroom bungalow now. Um, and, you know, I, same as you, so said, I wake up in the morning and I feel as if I've got something to go for. You know, I'm out most days either at the centre or doing the tours or talking to people. So I'm out pretty much seven days a week. What I do now is what I wasn't doing then, so I enjoy my life. You know, I wake up every single morning and I have a choice, which I didn't feel like. I'm not invisible. I feel like what I do in my life and, and my, the, the negative experiences that I've had, I can now use for positive, you know, better my life and, and to be a better person and maybe right some of those wrongs that I did when I was in that lifestyle. And, you know, for so long, all I did was take, take, take from people. So now a big part of recovery for me is actually about let's give back, let's do something for other people. Um, I don't need to shout and scream about it, you know. Some of the nicest things people do are things that no one ever knows that that person's actually done those things. But the opportunity to get homelessness out there and keep it at the forefront of people's minds and, and what the issues are and how we can try and address them, that for me is a really important thing now. Someone asked me, what do you get out of volunteering? I said, it's not what I get out of it. It's what I'm putting back into it. Well, brilliant. Well Thanks done. a lot, mate. And I'm well fantastic to, nice um, to meet you. Yeah, it's fantastic and to meet you. And you keep going. Next week, we hear two stories of immigration. From Owen, who migrated to the UK from Jamaica with his family aged four. And Mo, a refugee who was forced to flee Syria in order to escape the ongoing Syrian civil war. We sat down, having a chat, and then he asked me, what do you think of England? Is it good or bad? The minute that you ask this question, you would expect any answer, right? Yeah, yeah. The answer that I said, I don't know what to say. It's not bad, but it's not good enough. Yeah, when, said, when you have problems, yeah, issues like that. Issues like right? that, you, yeah. you can't, I can't say it's brilliant, it's great, everybody's lovely, it's not. And it's not bad till the point that if you walk on the street, everybody doesn't like you. know, there's people who like you, there's people who want to chat with you. There's yeah, yeah, people, sure. who, people who is open. So he just said, fuck off to your country, Dan. Thanks to Danny and Carl for sharing their stories in this week's episode. Check the show notes for helpful links if you've been affected by their conversation. From Lad Bible, you've been listening to The Gap.